and welcome to another episode of A Need to Read. Thank you very much for joining me. And by me, I mean, of course, Ed Cunningham. That is my name and I I run this podcast. This podcast episode was not intended to be out. I don't often review books that I listen to on Audible in long form because I struggle to make notes on them. However, this book was so good. I needed to share it because it will be so helpful for so many people. And that book is Option B by Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant, who is rapidly becoming one of my favourite authors. And a note on that, this month's book club, Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, is the book of the month. So head to the link in the description to Patreon to join the book club Three ninety nine, and you get to join a community of like-minded readers. But before we get into the actual podcast and chatting about this book, just a quick word from the sponsors of the podcast, and that is, of course, BetterHelp. They make this possible, along with, obviously, you guys listening. If therapy is something that you have given some thought to, if you're one of those people with a growth mindset and you understand that maybe there are some areas of your life that need attention from a professional, either emotionally or if it's just to do with your organisation. Anything that goes on in your inner world that is causing you trouble or putting a block on any other part of your life, then I strongly suggest speaking to a therapist and BetterHelp make that super simple and easy and painless and relatively cheap as well. So essentially, they're the place to go to get your help. Don't go to your friends. Friends probably give useless advice. A therapist will ask you the right questions and you get 10% off as a need to read listener. Just head to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read and the link as always is in the description. But without further ado, let's just get in to this book review. Well that was a little bit of a poem just then and I am pretty impressed. But what's more impressive is the book Option B by Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. Now Sheryl Sandberg, just for some context on who she is, she is the COO, which I'm pretty sure stands for Chief Operative Operations, um, which I mean I challenge you to say that pretty fast when you're drunk. It's a big deal and that's at Facebook. Huge company she's done incredible things there and she's actually written a few books and I've heard her in the foreword of a couple of Adam Grant's books before and that's that's kind of what made me pick the book option b the story is essentially about her journey through grief because in 2015 whilst on holiday in Mexico her kids were at home with her parents she was away with her husband her husband's brother and his wife and she was just by the pool all of a sudden she thought oh, I don't know where Dave is Dave being her husband starts frantically looking around and can't find him anywhere and all of a sudden the brother is like oh I saw him going off to the gym she runs to the gym and she finds him on the floor unconscious and unfortunately he had died from a cardiac arrhythmia random it wasn't expected they had no idea that he had any sort of health issues just dead and it obviously sent her world just completely upside down 
she had two young kids at home that she had to go and break the news to she had this high pressure job that she needed to still do and she was stuck for what to do with life and i think i i haven't experienced this myself and and hopefully i won't have to but losing your like life partner will be very very traumatic and that's what inspired this book is a journey of trauma and growth and grief and it is just beautifully put and in terms of books for your mindset i think this is very very important i'd say it's almost as if it's a softer version of the obstacle is the way and the obstacles way is one of my favorite books and i made a load of notes on this and here's a little life hack for you when you go on the notes section of your phone there's a little microphone on the bottom right hand corner of the screen and if you click that and you talk into it it just types out the words for you i think it's called dictation you might already know about it but it blew my mind and hopefully there'll be some people that'll be able to put that to good use but that's beside the point i haven't planned this episode i never really plan episodes but i've just got some notes on my phone that i'm going to go through and the first note that i made was a quote from the book which is what someone at her work had said to her when talking about what had happened obviously it was tragic and he asked her right so what's what is it that you want and she was like well i want dave back and he said okay so that's option a and he said option a isn't available so let's just kick the shit out of option b and that is of course where the title came from and it kind of reminds me of the quote by victor frankl from man's search for meaning when it's like right we can no longer change the situation we're forced to change ourselves like something is you can't change it it's gone it's not available to you you cannot do whatever the thing is that you want to do anymore so you might as well make your best possible go of option b whatever that is when talking about like the initial sort of trauma when her husband died cheryl sandberg speaks about these three p's when something traumatic happens and one of them is personalization which is where people blame themselves so she might think oh, i should never have let him go to the gym unintended or i should have made him go and got his health check more often so he could see this coming that's personalization you kind of make it about you as if you had the power to stop something pervasiveness now this is a good word didn't know this until the other day but per- pervasiveness is essentially where you think that trauma or bad things are going to span into other parts of your life so the example of Cheryl Sandberg here is that oh my god my husband has just died instantly everything is going to go wrong I'm not going to be able to do my job I'm going to be a terrible mother for my children and everything in my life is going to suck and that is another p that you have to avoid the final p of the three p's is permanence which you obviously know has something to do with the word permanent essentially that the pain is going to last forever and it's not for the most part when something traumatic happens to someone you do get over it the first few days are proper shit but over time you hear all these stories of people who have been through great trauma um malala yusufazi shot in the head by the taliban has done amazing things for um female rights and education across the world and she was literally shot in the fucking face that's trauma right like and i'm and i'm not taking it away from anyone else's trauma whatever that may be because 
Here's a quote that I love. is the worst thing that ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Anything that's happened to anyone else is completely irrelevant to your trauma. So don't don't get it twisted if I talk about something that is absolutely catastrophic that I don't think whatever is going on with you is because I probably don't think about it at all because I might not know you. If you know what I mean. Anyway, that's that's just something that is worth noting that there is this like post-traumatic growth that people can go through. Um, there's loads of studies that she referenced in the book, which is why it's worth reading because I'm not going to talk to you about the studies um, that people with like people who had lost parents when they were younger or people who had been through trauma actually becoming high performers because they build this resilience in life early in life as well and it sort of sets the foundation for the future for when things go wrong so post-traumatic growth really is a thing people often think about post-traumatic stress disorder but post-traumatic growth is something that is being researched quite heavily at the moment and it's pretty much come to fruition that that is a thing and it's probably more common than people would ever think and maybe when I talk about post-traumatic growth you just think of Kanye West and what doesn't kill me makes me stronger you know the song obviously that isn't something that he originally said it was Frederick Nietzsche that said it originally but it is true there is a book all about that and it's called Anti-Fragile by Nassim Nicholas Taleb it is long I got about 70 pages into it and put it down because it was a bit too dense for me at the time I'm sure I'll return to it another day um, but essentially is that you need to be anti-fragile for stuff that doesn't kill you to make you stronger that is essentially the opposite of fragility which isn't resilience and isn't robustness it is anti-fragile which is the phrase that he essentially made up but it's worth looking at that if you're if you're into that sort of thing I'd get it but it is quite dense on the science and the psychology I mean it's a good story within the book but if I was you I'd prefer to read this book um, if you want to get an understanding of that now when something traumatic happens she goes through all of the experiences that she had so she went to Dave her late husband's like, college reunion with her friends and one of the friends was sat there with MS and she'd never spoken to this friend before actually about his disease and she felt this guilt for not speaking to him about it because she was starting to see that people were avoiding speaking to her about her trauma because they thought she wouldn't want to talk about it and people want to talk about their loved ones who have died because it eternalizes them it keeps the memory of them alive it's easy to just not speak to your friends about someone that has passed away from them because people sometimes don't like talking about it but there are a lot of people who would love to hear you just chat about the people that they know that have died and that sounds really really obscure and i'm not talking about just like give them a ted talk on their dead loved one chat to them about them, ask them questions, be interested. It's It might just make them really, really, really happy. Obviously, probably ask permission first. But the reason that I said about this is she speaks to this friends with MS and asks him how it is living with the disease. 
and he starts crying he goes thank you no one literally ever asks me about it specifically they just say oh how are you and kind of hope that he doesn't say he's fucking terrible and i hate my life so think about it people who have been through trauma do quite often want to speak about it brings me nicely onto the part where she talks about friendships with grief because some people do avoid speaking about what has gone wrong in other people's life purely for their own comfort because it makes them feel uncomfortable um and that is that is a shame that certainly is a shame but she says a really lovely thing about friendships is sometimes when you're grieving you reject niceties from others and she says that friendships are not just about what you're willing to give but they're about what you're willing to receive in return and when a tragedy does happen think about the people who are closest to that tragedy maybe you're in that first circle and then draw a circle around that circle and another circle around that and start listing the names of the people who are immediately affected and it's most likely that your friends, unless it was a sort of a death within a friendship group, are going to be further out on that circle of impact. And they're the ones that you need to reach out to for support. Let's call it the circle of damage, for example. Say your partner dies. It's probably not best to reach out to their parents for support because they're also going to be grieving. Of course, share the grief, but don't necessarily ask them for support reach out to your friends reach out to other people that may be slightly disconnected from the death the de the dead person essentially it's a very hard conversation to navigate this um and maybe this is where i'll just interject running away sort of from my notes death is a really really strange thing and obviously we can't escape it and people die all the time and it creeps up on you randomly and for maybe three or four weeks after someone has died you're like hey um i'm gonna live my life to full i'm gonna tell everyone that i love that i love them and then slowly 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 you just slip back into your own routine and it sucks and i've spoken on the podcast before about one of my friends who died of covid and without him and his sort of early influence on the books that i was reading and the habits that i was building in terms of meditation and journaling like the podcast wouldn't be happening and for weeks after that I was like being so grateful for like all the things and the people in my life that were influencing me and I was telling them all and look I've slipped out of the habit it's so easy to do it's unfortunate that it takes someone to die to give you the kick up the arse that's needed to start being grateful for all the things in your life that you need to be grateful for um, so I suppose you kind of need to constantly remind yourself of the shortness of life and there's a Latin phrase for that called memento mori, and it's very popular within Stoicism. It's just essentially like, remember that you're going to die. Just remember that. And all the people that you love are as well. And that's going to suck. So you kind of do have to make the most out of every second that you have with your loved ones. And that sounds obviously really cliche, but it is true. Now, when it comes to grief... They say that it's like six months for acute grief and then you should be done with the acute grief stage. 
I, I think it's such a grey area. They say there's five stages of grief, and in the book she talks about this, how the five stages of grief, they're not linear. There's denial, there's anger, there's depression, there is... I have to just look this up because I don't know. Five stages of grief. And look, it's worth noting, whilst I'm Googling this, I'm a human being, I can't remember everything. You know what I mean? So it's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And they tried to say that that's like a linear thing, that that's you're, you're going to start in denial, you're going to go angry, and then you're going to start bargaining, and then it's going to be depression, and then it's going to be acceptance. It's not how it works. The way it works is however it shows up for you. There is no right or wrong way to do grief. Unfortunately, I lost a podcast with this woman, Megan Devine. She wrote a book on grief called It's Okay That You're Not Okay. And the stupid recording sort of software that I used at the time just deleted half of the podcast. And that was so frustrating. Um, But there's not much I can do about it now. So maybe I'll try and speak to her again in the future. But she is... A pretty big author and I didn't want to just say to her straight away oh by the way I've lost the file because um, I'm a pussy and I didn't want to do that anyway back to this book important thing when something tragic happens is self-compassion and self-compassion sometimes people view it as self-pity or self-indulgent but it's not um, essentially self-compassion is defined as being kind to ourselves as if we were our own friend and I did a podcast with Chessie King about this and like you have to be your own best friend you have to be kind to yourself as if you were your own best friend so that's really important and self-compassion is essentially just allowing room and space for whatever feelings are coming up so if that's something that interests you obviously read the book or just have a look at self-compassion I'm sure there'll be a TED talk on it or something um on on sort of youtube or something like that and and some part of life and and self-compassion is just about accepting the imperfections that come with being human and self-compassion is directly linked to our ability to get over hardship like there are studies that people who went through divorce their like recovery from that wasn't linked to their self-esteem or their resilience um it was about the self-compassion even soldiers recovering from ptsd or like but anyone that goes through anything shit high levels of self-compassion essentially enable them to recover quicker from whatever it is and they talk about um guilt here's another thing that will come up when you're grieving is guilt like i obviously when my friend passed away i felt guilty that i hadn't thanked him for the impact that he had had on the podcast but they say that guilt is the gift that keeps on giving because it kind of shows you how you need to live your life in the future not just what you need to do at the time so if you feel guilty about something if you feel guilt it's kind of natural but don't dwell on that just allow that to sort of push how you live in the future so obviously all my friends that I'm grateful for now I try and tell them as much as I can but like I said earlier it's kind of kind of slipped a little bit and I'm only just realizing that now as I talk about it so firstly I'd just like to express my gratitude to you the listener for continuing to listening to the podcast because that is absolutely sound and another thing 
that she speaks about that was really helpful in grieving is journaling and I am huge on this now decades ago this scientist first name unknown second name Pennebaker did a study on college students and asked them to write about the most traumatic and emotional experiences in their lives and after two days he brought them in and did some tests on them and the ones who had to journal about the traumatic things had higher blood pressure um, they felt a little bit more anxious a little bit more um, depressed but he called them back in six months later and those who had written about the trauma had reported higher levels of happiness because it allowed them to process it and there was a control group there who didn't have to write about it by the way it wasn't just I'm just testing one and seeing what the results are I won't bore you with the science experiment if you want that you'll have to read the book I'm afraid and it's just interesting like journaling really really helped me because you get to write down what you like about someone um, how you wish you'd acted differently maybe or things like good memories that you've had with that person or how you're feeling at the time like how much of a traumatic experience is this for you right now this loss and just delve into it I would suggest putting on Arrival of the Birds by the Cinematic Orchestra and getting your pen out and having a little write that's what I would say few more things and then we're going to get into the book doctor and there's a, a story in the book that i found really interesting so in 1972 a plane flying from uruguay to chile um pretty much full of rugby players crashed in the andes rolled down a hill that's why i put in my notes that it rolled down a hill it didn't it was obviously a mountain um and there are 42 45 people in the plane 32 survivors in the end only 16 people actually survived and it took them 72 days to reach civilization out of the andes and one of the most important thing for their survival was hope and that reminds me of a book called everything is fucked by mark manson um, and he essentially states that you need suffering because you need hope and you need hope to live and obviously everyone wants to live and hope sort of gives you new ways to fight things like permanence and obviously if, if there's a community of people around you who are all grieving together then that's really really important hope on an individual basis that's great hope as a community is way way better final thing is she speaks a lot about women in the workplace in this book and she's also done another book called lean in women work and the will to lead i actually brought it to my sister but she she'd already read it she talks about a study on stereotypes and this is completely separate from option b essentially and these stereotypes are linked to gender race sexuality ability disability um and before these people did a test they were told their gender or they were told their race or they were told their disability or their sexuality and then people perform to the stereotype so whatever stereotype you fit within i just want you to do your best to ignore it this is a complete side note to option b even though it is within the book but there's no point dwelling on the fact that whatever your stereotype is like I've, i don't want to I get in trouble if i talk about stereotypes I'll talk about myself. I'm a white, middle-class, cisgender 
straight male, right? My life's meant to be fucking easy. If I think about that when I'm feeling depressed, I get so annoyed. I can't tell you. If I think about these whole like privilege things, it it frustrates me so much. Or let's just say I was going to do a test, an art, and someone's like, "Oh, you're a boy. You're not arty." Maybe I'd perform worse. I don't know. Maybe this would be easier if I fit within a stereotype that didn't come from such privilege. But unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever, who cares? I'm impartial. It's not the case. What is the case is, if you believe that you fit to a stereotype, if you believe that you're going to underperform because you're part of a stereotype, then guess what? You are going to underperform because of that. And it was just an interesting part of the book that I thought I'd put in there. One last thing. I didn't mean to say last thing on the last one. I just want to talk about this because this is super important and it's just about humour. When I was in the Marines, one of the core sort of values that they have is humour in the face of adversity. Humour makes us more resilient. There's a study done. So after operations, if the patient watched a comedy film and was laughing and found things funny they would request 25% less pain medication than those who weren't watching comedies, which is really interesting. So if you get to a stage in your life where you can make a joke about your trauma or tragedy or anything, then it's going to put you in a good position. Obviously, there are some people with no sense of humour who feel uncomfortable when you make jokes. But you don't need to perform for them. This is all about you. Right? If they feel uncomfortable, like it's your trauma, it's your tragedy, you deal with it in whatever way you want. But a little bit of humour, maybe even dark humour, can go a long way. Just in terms of your resilience, which is of course super important. So that's the book review. That is it. Option B. I think if you have a tragedy that happens in your life, it would be super important to read that. If you've been through something recently then definitely get the books by Cheryl Sandberg. There'll be a link in the description. I'll put a link for an audible free trial in the description as well. If you use that link, I'll get a fiver. So you get to give me money without even giving me money. Um, and you get a free credit for an audiobook, which you might just use to listen to option B or Harry Potter or whatever else you want. And it is actually quite good on audible, if I'm honest. You can listen to Darren Brown's podcast, which is an audio Audible exclusive, and that is pretty good. You can listen to loads of things. Go and have a look. There's a link in the description for that. But before we wrap this podcast up, let's just have a little chat about the book, Doctor. So I just want to thank anyone that um, submits the book, Doctor, because I think it's a really cool feature. And I'm just going to introduce the guy who has submitted this week and give you guys a push to send me your voice notes under a minute to a need to read podcast at gmail.com hi ed i hope you're well thank you so much for producing this podcast over the last year or so my book doctor question is that i'm struggling with my weight and i'm struggling to lose weight keep on a diet and keep on track However hard I seem to want it, by the end of the day, I'm always down the sugar aisle in the supermarket. Are there any books that you've come across that might help with this? Thanks. Firstly, 
thank you very much for that submission. Like I said, that's great. I'm very happy that you trust me and I'm going to send you this book and a book bag and a bookmark because you're being a good sport and getting involved and that is ledge. And look, losing weight and stuff, it's not my lane. I'm, I'm not a personal trainer, um, but I know how to put systems into place and I know a little bit about psychology from what I've been reading. If you haven't read it already, um, James Smith, Not a Diet Book. It says it's not a diet book because it's not. It is more about fitness and sort of empowering you to be able to sort of lose weight in a sustainable way. And look, I absolutely love sweets and chocolate. That is one of my main vices. I can't stay out of that aisle either. But the most important thing that I do is I have a system in place when it comes to exercise. I hate doing it. I Honestly, I can't tell you enough how much I despise exercise. I think it's one of the most boring things ever, but I understand its necessity. So I'd read Not a Diet Book, firstly by James Smith, and then I'll just listen up for this next bit because there was a study done of a group of students in America and there was a control group who, when they were given their workout plan, were told to say, oh, I can't miss a workout. There was another group who said, I don't miss workouts. And then there was a control group who said nothing. The people who said nothing about their workout plan, four out of ten of them stuck to it. People who said, I can't miss workouts, it was two out of ten that stuck to it. But people that said, I don't miss workouts, eight out of ten of those people stuck to it. And when you say that you don't do something, it becomes part of your identity. And that is super, super important, is whenever you're building habits, make it an identity habit. Whether that's going to the gym, whether that's restricting your calories slightly in, in an attempt to lose weight, just be like, yeah, I don't, I don't eat sweets in the week, or I don't eat chocolate unless it's the weekend. Make it part of your identity. Write it down. Write it down every day until you fucking believe it, because you can shift the weight if you want to and if you apply yourself because essentially anyone can do it it's just it might be difficult at times so have a read of not a diet book i'll send that to you i'll send you a bookmark and a book bag but also write down in your journal i don't do x i don't do y make it part of your identity and things will start moving in the right direction and hopefully that helps but that is it. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you want to be a legend, just give me a review on Apple Podcasts. If you don't want to be a legend, that's okay. We don't all have to be legends. There's only space for so many in the world. But the fact that you're here and listening and continuing to come back tells me that you're a legend. I think you're all brilliant. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, follow on Instagram, subscribe to the podcast, give it a review, blah, blah, blah. I love you all. Goodbye.